it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Tuesday, October 18th, 2022. I'm Guy Benson, broadcasting live from New York City today. All the way through Thursday, it is the Guy Benson Show. Very happy to have all of you here with us between 3 and 6 p.m. Eastern Time every weekday and around the clock for free on demand on our podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. All of our content and facts and resources about the show right there at GuyBensonShow.com. I'm the political editor at TownHall.com, a Fox News contributor. I'll be doing some TV duties while I'm up here in New York. And we start today with the announcement that we are exactly three weeks away from the midterm elections, 21 days until E-Day. And we are going to be breaking down a number of the races here on the program today and really focusing, of course, on these contests over these next three weeks. We are very much in crunch time. And based on the numbers that we got into a little bit yesterday, the polling, the movement, It's starting to look like that red wave, which might have been ebbing over the summer, is building back up into something rather significant. Could be wrong. Maybe the turnout models will be different. Maybe this time won't follow the historical patterns. But based on what we know, based on the data, based on history, it should be a pretty painful night three weeks from today. For the ruling party, the Democrats, who control all of Washington, D.C. And in my opinion, it should be a politically painful night for them, given what they've done with their power over the last nearly two years. Here's the lineup to help discuss all of this with me on the show today. Coming up later this hour, making his debut on The Guy Benson Show here in studio in New York, the new king of late night, Greg Gutfeld will be here. Strap it in, buckle up. I don't know how it's going to go. And it's live. So pray for us. Gutfeld in the house about half an hour from now. In the next hour, to begin our middle hour, the man who I believe will be the next Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader, he will join us to talk about the midterms, the numbers he's seeing, the priorities for what could be a Republican majority That's coming up next hour. And in our final hour, also here in studio, Jessica Tarloff, another fiver. She will return, give us some perspective from the other side of the ideological spectrum. We might get into some nonsense with her as well, because we often do. So it's quite a lineup that we have for you. And I will also just say quickly in the Gutfeld segment, it's not just segment, it's segments. We'll have him here for two segments. And there's a surprise guest that we will be bringing in remotely. He knows about it. We're not totally sandbagging him, but it could be rather interesting. A little just teaser there. You're going to want to stay tuned for that. Okay, so that's all coming up on the show. We will begin, as promised, by talking about hardcore politics, electoral politics, 
the midterm elections of 2020. Last night, as we mentioned on the show yesterday, there were a series of debates in a number of high-profile races. Tonight, we will have the Senate debate in Florida, Senator Rubio against Val Demings. Rubio expected to win. Demings trying to make a dent in that Rubio lead. We'll see how that goes this evening. But last night, you had Kemp v. Abrams in Georgia. And I'll have much more to say about Georgia a little bit later on in the show. You had Vance v. Ryan in Ohio. The first debate got pretty heated. Last night, I would argue even more so. And man, Tim Ryan, for a guy who's been a career politician for decades, I mean, he makes some of his points. I get it. But he he doesn't come across well a lot of the time. Just kind of sleazy, slimy, at least to me. And we have some of those fireworks to play for you from the debate last night. Then also another one. I know there's like this little mini boomlet right now about how Mike Lee in Utah might lose to Evan McMullen, who's running as an independent, but he's backed by the Democrats. And he's basically become a Democrat, even though he was posing as the true conservative as recently as 2016. They had some bad blood as well on stage last night. And if we have time, we'll get to some of that. I think Lee is going to win somewhat handily in the state of Utah. I don't think there are enough Utahns who are going to fall for Evan McMullen's grift. And I think at this point it is a grift. And I say that as someone who supported him in 2016, thinking he was a conservative. He's not. Very clearly he's not. So even though we're going to revisit Georgia because it's such an important race on The governor's side for a number of reasons. I think Kemp is very likely to win it, but I think him winning and winning big matters a lot, not just for the Senate race as well, but for what Kemp stands for, what he's been through, what he's put up with, the lies that have been told about him, the way he's been targeted. If he can come through all of that and win a pretty resounding victory, I think that is significant. So I'm paying close attention to that race, but also that that Senate contest down in the Peach State. We keep talking about it because it's one of three or four that will determine control of the Senate. And it is right there for the taking for either one of the candidates. It is a toss-up in every sense of that term. So the only clip I'll play, at least for now, of the Kemp-Abrams debate They had all their predictable talking points. Stacey Abrams did her very, at this point, predictable song and dance about how she's not really an election denier, even though she absolutely is. She had her lines of attack. Kemp had his responses. He was prepared. I think the debate did not change anything about the trajectory of that race. But one of the clean hits that Kemp has on Stacey Abrams, is something that she very foolishly said at an event surrounded by partisans. I think when you get so comfortable in a bubble, you don't realize how certain things sound to normal people, normal Georgians in this case. And Kemp reminded everyone about what she, Stacey Abrams, had to say about their state in Cut 13. When I ran for governor in 2018, I promised to put hard work in Georgians first ahead of the status quo and the politically correct. I said shortly after being sworn in, I would work hard as your governor every single day for all Georgians, whether you voted for me or not. I'm so optimistic about the future of our state, the lowest unemployment rate in the history of the state, the most people working, and economic opportunity in all parts of our state, no matter your zip code or neighborhood. Stacey Abrams said Georgia's the worst state in the country to live. Well, Marty, the girls and I disagree. 
We think Georgia is the greatest state in the country to live, work, and raise our children. And that's why I'm asking for your vote and support to keep it that way. I mean, he's bear-hugging his own record, name-checking a few of the accomplishments, and saying, by contrast, my opponent thinks and said out loud that Georgia's the worst state in the country to live. And he's like, we respectfully disagree. So do most Georgians. And most Georgians are happy that Brian Kemp is governor based on the polling. So not a game changer last night in that Georgia debate. I don't think that there was really a moment where people said, wow, one or the other one scored huge points that could really alter the way this race is going. Kemp did what he needed to do. Abrams is behind and did her normal song and dance. And I am still expecting, anticipating a somewhat comfortable to more comfortable than expected Kemp victory in three weeks. Meanwhile, in Ohio, here's a Senate race where J.D. Vance, the Republican, first-time candidate, Trump-backed, is struggling to pull away from Tim Ryan, who's got a lot of money, a lot of political experience. He's spent a huge amount of cash trying to present himself as this everyman who's an independent, a moderate. Unfortunately, it's all... A farce. In fact, in the last debate, Vance said, I wish you were the moderate, an independent thinker that you claim to be, pretend to be. TV Tim, all his ads. DC Tim votes 100% of the time with Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden. 100%. Which is sort of an incredible stat. Now, what happened last night that raised some eyebrows was, unsurprisingly, Tim Ryan was playing the race card and sort of accusing... J.D. Vance of essentially being a racist and talking about the great replacement theory, which is this racist theory, which is not what Vance has done. Vance has been tough on borders. He's talked about border security and maintaining law and order. But the implication, the effective allegation from Tim Ryan was that J.D. Vance was being racist or dabbling with racist theories or dabbling in them. And J.D. Vance clearly was sick and tired of it. He said so. He talked about his own family. He called out Tim Ryan. This was a passionate response that I saw get a huge amount of virtual applause from conservatives online after this happened in Cut 14. This is disgusting. I'd like to get here's exactly what happens when the media and people like Tim Ryan accuse me of engaging the great great replacement theory. I'll tell you exactly exactly what happens, Tim. What happens is that my own children, my biracial children, get attacked by scumbags online and in person because you are so desperate for political power that you'll accuse me, the father of three beautiful biracial babies, of engaging in racism. We are sick of it. You can believe in a border without being a racist. You can believe in the the country without being a racist. And this just shows how desperate this guy is for political power. You can hear Tim Ryan sort of sighing in the background. We're sick of it said J.D. Vance, and I think a whole lot of Americans were sitting there and Ohioans watching that and saying, yes, exactly that. Sick of it. Tim Ryan's like, oh, I guess really got under your skin. I feel like if you're the father of three biracial kids and your opponent, this empty suit who's misrepresenting himself to the state, trying to run you down in order to 
attain more political power is lying about you as a racist. Yeah, I think that is designed to get under someone's skin. And to just spout a few platitudes and smile is not a human reaction to that. And J.D. Vance, who's not a career politician, unlike Tim Ryan, took umbrage, and you could hear it in his voice. And I think it resonates with an awful lot of people. And it does feel desperate from Tim Ryan. Vance, in the latest poll I saw, is now up two. He was down one point in the same poll a few weeks ago. Now he's gained some ground. Mike DeWine is the Republican governor in Ohio. He's going to win by 15 to 20 points. He is way ahead. The Republicans are crushing Ohio. Vance is the only one lagging behind. He's ahead, but not by much. It is a crucial race. Tim Ryan is a fraud when it comes to moderation and independence. He just isn't those things. He's trying to fool and bamboozle people into believing it. And I think Vance has done a very good job, actually, in these debates, making that point and taking the mask off of Tim Ryan. And my guess is, ultimately, some of the undecideds break Vance's way. Some of the Republicans who are hesitant come home and vote for him. I think Vance wins mid-single digits, but nothing should be taken for granted. Every seat is absolutely crucial three weeks out. And by the way, Vance, I think in his closing statement last night, really turned the screws and made effectively like a lawyer, and he is a lawyer, a closing argument to the people of Ohio. This is useful and I think relevant to Ohioans, but it also applies in a lot of these races around the country. Listen to the case that he made in Cut 18. My simple argument is, is this, that Tim Ryan's had his chance. He's been in office for 20 years. He's passed five pieces of legislation. Three of those legis- pieces of legislation were in renaming post offices in the Youngstown area. Whenever I'm up here in the Mahoning Valley, I'm constantly approached by people who tell me that Tim Ryan has failed them and Tim Ryan has failed to do his job. I think it's really simple here. We need to go in a different direction in this country, and I make a few commitments to you about what you and your family deserve. Number one, I think your family deserves to go to the grocery store and not have it break the bank, not have it ruin your bank account because you want to buy a nice meal for your kids to have on a Friday night. Number two, I think you deserve a country with a border, and I think you deserve leadership who don't call you racist for thinking that you should deserve a country with a border. He went on to say that Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and Tim Ryan have had their chance. And he asked, how are those policies working out for you? And he asked for the votes of people in Ohio. So I think a strong close for J.D. Vance, who flashed a little bit of righteous indignation in the clip that we played a moment ago with some of those smears and responding. Very quickly, last but not least, out in Utah, Mike Lee against Evan McMullen, who's saying he's an independent who wouldn't caucus with either party. He's backed by the Democrats in Utah. They didn't field a candidate. McMullen is their guy against Mike Lee, and he was calling Lee all sorts of things, a disgrace, a a traitor to the Constitution, all of this. He got booed a few times, actually, making it so personal. And at one point, Senator Lee called out McMullen on the issue of abortion, because he's a complete hypocrite and phony on this. Cut 22. As a pro-life American who loves the Constitution deeply, I'm thrilled with the Dobbs decision. Roe versus Wade was a legal fiction cut out of a whole cloth from the imagination of a few Supreme Court justices. I'm glad it's been overturned. And this authority has finally been returned to the states where it belongs. 
Yeah, I, I respect the fact that you, you used to be uh, of the same agreement. You used to agree with me that Roe versus Wade was really wrong. You went on MSNBC a few months ago and said you defended it, and you opposed efforts to undo it. You also derided as extreme Utahns and Utah for having a law that strongly protects unborn human life. As far as where we go from here. And then he continued about his position on abortion, but he's pointing out Evan McMullen as the so-called conservative for years, pro-life, anti-Roe, those were his principles. Now he's running as an independent, not a Democrat. Don't worry, Utah, I'm not a Democrat. But suddenly all the principles on abortion have flipped and he's in favor of Roe versus Wade and he's against overturning it on a dime. If someone can change their view on abortion like that, that quickly, I think you ought to be suspicious of them. That can go in either direction. And McMullen wants to pretend that he's some sort of independent moderate. No, he's a Democrat. Mike Lee is a conservative. Let there be no mistake about that down the stretch in the Beehive State. We are just getting started. Big show still ahead. Gutfeld later this hour. It's the Guy Benson Show. Guy Benson will be right back. Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. It's the Guy Benson Show. I mentioned that we're doing the show from New York today and tomorrow and Thursday. Since we're in New York, you know what? Indulge me. I'll mention it. Brand new poll out today in this state, Quinnipiac. And there's a big warning flag, by the way. Quinnipiac has been bad at the state level now for years. So big grain of salt. But it's not that far off from another poll that just came out. A few days ago, the Quinnipiac poll has the governor race in New York at four points. Kathy Hochul, I was expecting her to win by 20, 25. There was a poll that had her up only 10 the other day, then another one up six, and now Quinnipiac has it four. In the Quinnipiac numbers, again, with a grain of salt, she's up big in New York City. They're tied in the suburbs, and he's running away with it upstate independence flocking to Zeldin. The number one issue, crime, which is the focus of Republican Lee Zeldin's campaign. He was our guest on this show just recently. I'm not predicting an upset win for him, but I think things might be getting a little bit closer than the Democrats are comfortable with here in the Empire State. And boy, do they deserve a scare, if not worse. Election Day is 21 days away all across the country. 
Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He was born in Saudi Arabia, which is why we call him our little prince. His last job was as a mannequin for J. Crew. He's got the face of an eighth grader in his glove compartment. He's on our list of 40 under 40 who look like they're 14. He's like Peter Pan. He doesn't age and will never marry a woman. He has the face of your nephew and the politics of your dad. Host of the Guy Benson Show and Fox News contributor Guy Benson. Those are priceless. <laughs> we are back. It's the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for listening. GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast always free. That was just a sampling of some of the generous introductions I received on the new-ish show of my next guest making his debut mm. on the Guy Benson Show. He is the littlest host with the tallest ratings. Uh. Co-host of The Five and the new king of late night. That is true. That Greg is true. Greg Gottfeld, it is great to see you in studio. I am so happy to be here. And it's just I, I, I can't believe this is my first time just with you. Yeah. You know, but uh, well, in, um, in this context, in this context, exactly. We won't get into the other context because it's filthy. But uh, yeah, it's great. Huh? I love those introductions. When you put when you t- when you pile them on each other. Yes. That's how it works. It's a long game. People don't understand that. It's a long game. You're supposed to do that. You're supposed to have them all like so it's one person and it's just relentless. I had forgotten about the one. He has the face of an eighth grader in his glove compartment. That I, was a dark, I, dark intro. I, I, I think I wrote the second part of that of glove compartment. So I, how do these get written? Well, it, it started – I mean it was obviously started at Red Eye um, and it was my idea because a friend of mine's band – I had seen a friend of mine's band and they introduced all the members like, he's six foot five, runs like a deer, playing drums, Dave Lombardo. And I'd be like, I should do that with my guests. And then I got so obsessed with it. I mean I would write them and then other guests who loved them like Allison Rosen wrote – thousands of them and she wasn't even wasn't even working for me uh i think i can't remember if andy and bill wrote some they might have they probably did but it was like yeah I, i'm sure we did like a round robin thing i like like it's kind of like how you do magazine captions where you take uh you just you you it goes around the staff like a picture of something and people write on it that's how we did it and that started on red eye. Red, red eye yeah and it's the hardest thing uh people get re- it's very hard to do tyrus and cat because you're doing it every day right but it's easy to do you because you're on like once every two weeks but um it's no one else does it and it's just like something that i can't i i don't i can't settle on just saying hey we're here with dana perino it's got to have something right. else does anyone ever get upset um, some people might get shocked if I if I if it appears that I might cross a line, or if you they, would never yes, do such a thing, they, or if they think that I'm making fun of them. But I never do. I don't think I ever do. Maybe maybe 15 years ago on Red Eye, there might have been a person or 14 years like that was like never seen the show before and was like, what the hell's going on? But I, I think it's like we've been, you know, everybody knows what's going on on that show now. Like it's people all, get it. Yeah, it's all teasing. It's all ridicule. It's all like getting under people's skin, and it's like it is like a nightly roast. And people don't people don't 
I don't think people understood where it was going until it happened. And I told I told Tyrus and Kat that it was like when we're here every day, it's going to just morph into a roast because that's the way red, that's how red eye red eye became just an, an insult factory, you know. And it's like the best part if you can't insult somebody, you don't like them. That's a fa- fact. If you sit if you sit if you see me next to somebody and I can't make fun of them, it's because I I honestly am well, not interested. Then you must really like Brian <laughs> Stelter because <laughs> those jokes happen all the time. I will just say in terms of the support and the fandom of this show, not to blow smoke, you know this, but in the last couple weeks I was talking to one friend of mine who's in his mid 20s in Colorado. Mm-hmm. He watches almost every night. He'll occasionally engage in some Colorado type behavior and then tune in. Yes, who loves wouldn't? it. Who yes. wouldn't? And then I was just in Georgia over the weekend and I was at a dinner party with a bunch of retirees who watch every single night and they freaked out when I mentioned you guys should come to New York and be in the audience. They're like we're going we're going to come. Ah. They're huge fans. How would you talk about and sort of explain to people who maybe have heard about the show, haven't tuned in, why has it been so successful? Because you went from a show that didn't exist not long ago to beating all of these Mm -hmm. long-tenured on-air comedians who have staffs of dozens of people and millions of dollars of network TV money behind them. You're beating all of them. That upsets me. The amount of money and support they have. Just blows my mind, but I'll get over it soon. I hope. But uh, I okay. Number one, the, the, the key to the success too. What, what, there was a hole there that needed to be filled. We knew it. You could tell. Was I ready for it? I wasn't sure. We talked about it for a while, and I didn't want to do it because I felt I wasn't ready, or I didn't want the hassle. I was already doing a weekly show and the five. I was exhausted. But how much more work would this be? You know, I, I, I've said this. I told. Tucker this, uh, you know, on Tucker's show that I actually called Tucker and Tucker convinced me to do it. Um, and so the now the, the if I was describing the show to somebody, it's a good mood. There's like no, it's 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 a good mood where you're with your friends and you're just making fun of each other. Uh, there is politics. You're going to I'm not a liberal, but I'm also the, almost all of the insults are directed at the host. Like I I call myself out constantly for being a complete idiot. And I think that's disarming to uh, people who might not like Fox to see, my God, this guy actually has a certain kind of a, uh, he can see himself, you know? He's not like, you know, I don't take myself seriously. No, you don't get mad because people, the question I get all the time after I do your show is, does Greg ever get upset with you when you make fun of him? I'm like, no, that's the whole point. Yeah, no, I, there's, I never get happier then when somebody rips me, because that means it's like a, it's a group, it, we're a group, and that's the best part. That's what I mean. I love like Red Eye with you know, Andy just would insult me constantly, and and I would insult Bill, and it would just be this constant back and forth. It's just a, that's just the way people. It's it's a disarming way of communication. Takes the edge off politics, social problems. Yep. And the show gets less political as it goes. Yeah. Right? It's like a, a and B block. There's a lot of politics, and then it's. Off to nonsense land yeah, for a yeah. while. We call it what is it? We, what's the haircut? The uh, it's got the party in the back, serious up front, party uh, a in the mullet. Back. The mullet. It's a news mullet. So it's serious <laughs> up front, party in the back. But the mullet keeps growing more and more, and the serious stuff gets you get bald. So now it's, it's receding all, hairline. Receding hairline. Oh. So it's all bald. It's all like you know when you see when you see Jesse without his toupee, oh. and it's just like disgusting. It's a little water shot there. <laughs> He's very sensitive about that. I know. Well, you know, it's like, you know, own it, Jesse. And he, he does not have a toupee. For the record, as a fact check, 
here's the other thing about the space. It's a hair system. <laughs> the hair system <laughs> is something that he can comment on perhaps when he comes – if he comes back on the show. He's a very busy man. Oh, yeah, apparently. He's so. got two shows. Yeah. But the space that you play in, sort of like this sandbox of late-night TV – I think part of the reason that Gottfeld has been successful, aside from you and the team and Cat and the, what a mm-hmm. what a cool group, the rest of the landscape is so boring. Mm-hmm. They are all the same in so many ways. They are predictable. They either are terrified to make a joke about Democrats or they are just a Democratic super PAC. Mm-hmm. And it's like – People haven't learned the lesson of Fox News for 25 years that people might want something a little bit different sometimes. You know who they listen to only? Their publicist. That's the the least humored person on the planet. (laughs) He's a publicist. Yeah, because I worked in magazines and I had to deal with them. You know, people representing celebrities, they'll scare the crap out of you. They'll 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 blackmail you with like you'll never see have this person on your show. And I represent all these other people that freaks that freaks these the producers out, so they got to be nice, and they get these celebrities on that are actually really fun to look at. But when they open their mouths, it's like, okay, I've seen enough. Turn the channel. And the celebrities are a great advertising, you know, uh, uh, morsel. So that works. Right. But you, other than they, that, it's 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 we make our own celebs. They're like, we have bad, uh, we have Brad Pitt tonight. You're like up tonight, Guy Benson. Yes. It's like I can't compete with that. Oh, uh, you're more you, fun. You're you're our you're our Brad Pitt. Well. Let's you put know? that in my intro tomorrow. I'm on the show tomorrow. Our <laughs> Brad Pitt. Let's write By it the way, down. You get that tomorrow's show is going to be great. Got Harlan Williams. I've been trying to get Harlan Williams forever. He's so funny. Pretend you know him. So that's tomorrow night, yes. 11 p.m. Eastern, along with, I mean, every night, 11 p.m. Eastern. It's Gutfeld on Fox News Channel. I want to break real quick, Greg. Yes. Because when we come back, we have a quasi-surprise guest, a special mm. guest, a blast from the past that oh. we want to ask about you, your oh, favorite topic. Barry Bonds? Uh, we couldn't get him. This Tom, is, um, uh, what's the, the Tom, what's the guy, the quarterback? No, Tom Brady. Tom Brady? No, so yeah, you're clearly very close with We're Tom. all went to Sarah together. Um, okay. No, Greg Jeffries. Lynn Swan. Was it Lynn Swan? Fifth on the depth chart. We're going to take that break before he keeps rambling, just like <laughs> rattling off names. Greg Gutfeld in studio with me here in New York. That it's the Sarah. Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. We're back. It's the Guy Benson Show from New York. Greg Gutfeld here with me in studio, and we are now going to bring in a first-time guest on the program as well. It's Greg's first time, and now let's welcome in Jody Penner. She's an experienced nonprofit executive, mother of four, longtime friend of Greg Gutfeld since high school. Right. I met her recently in California. Yeah. She has many stories, apparently. And Jody, it's great to have you here. Hi, Guy. Thank you for having me on. So I just discovered that Greg played football in high school, and he was a linebacker. Yes. You probably don't remember that, Jody, but I was. No. Yeah, I remember you playing hearts in the stands is what I remember. <laughs> yes, that's true. I did play hearts, but uh, I did play, play football freshman year. You didn't know me then because, you know, girls didn't know freshmen, right? Yeah, so, like, no. I didn't exist. When did you first discover me? Was when, it, when, when you were dating uh, uh, Johnny Giacomini? Maybe. I actually think it had to do with um, my other friend who had a huge crush on you. Oh, my God. That's right. And then she gossiped. She told some gossip at the supermarket. (laughs) And that got me in so much trouble because I told her about some gossip, right? It's something like that. Yes. And then it got to the, the manager of the supermarket. And then I never spoke to her again. And she was very sad. She wanted to take me to the prom. 
But I went with Something. some other girl to the prom. Do you even remember your prom date's name? Yeah, Stephanie Von Stein. Oh, that's Do you remember the Von Steins? Oh, yeah. No, you were pretty obsessed with her. <laughs> she, I ran into her on the street like 20 years ago, and she was going jogging in New York, and she had a gun. That was interesting <laughs> to me. But anyway, everybody's gotten old but me. Was she, was she glad that she had a gun when yeah, you ran into her? Weird. We like ran into each other. It was so funny. I don't know what. We ran into each other on the street. But anyway, I hide. Here's the story. Next to me is my assistant, Elle, who is Jody's daughter. So isn't so, that funny? Jody, you have entrusted your daughter to Greg Gutfeld and his show. Is this good parenting? Well, it, it, was, it was a tough decision. It was a tough call. So... Uh, <laughs> But actually, we, he, she wouldn't really be here if it wasn't for him, since Greg introduced me to my husband. So. Oh, I'm, I'm, gl- I'm glad you finished that sentence, because I thought we, we were just going to get a big bombshell reveal. That's like, right. This is not the Maury Povich show, to my knowledge. Well, Wait, hang on. So, look, so Greg, as far as I know. As far as I know. I'm not sure. <laughs> so Greg introduced you to your husband. Wait, how did that happen? Do you want to tell the story, Greg? I'm, I'm trying to re- – where were we? Were you in San Francisco? We, Yes. Yes. Yeah. Was it a yeah, Halloween? Th- it was Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. You were, uh, Close enough. You were with your mom. Yeah. Was I? Where and was I? Where were you? Well, you came to my apartment, and then you were a bunch of your guys and a bunch of my gals. We all met at um, oh my bus God. stop. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Now yeah. I remember. That's how you met Buzz. So, yeah. so I have to ask you, Jody. You knew Greg in high school. You did not remember that he played football. A lot of ankle tackles, I think, from his position at linebacker. <laughs> how was he? In high school and college, like, is he the same? Like, you just turn on TV and you're like, yep, that's the guy I knew, or has he changed? No, absolutely. He's, he's exactly the same. He just changed some of his jokes. There's no more throw babies as throw pillows jokes. <laughs> he's moved on from that. So. Oh, no. <laughs> did I use that one a lot? Wow. Yes. Yes, yes you did. <laughs> I had a tendency to, to say the same things over and over and over again. I still do. If you watch I the like five. the news mullet, though. <laughs> Ironically, it's the name of my new band, so... News oh mullet. yeah, you heard news mullet. You yeah. know, um, but I have to credit I have to credit Jody because she was one of the few people who actually laughed at me. If I remember, uh, you and you and you you and your friends would come over to my house and talk to my mother. Do you remember that? Uh, I think we did it once or twice. Yeah. yeah. No, she, your mom's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Great that's, woman, amazing woman. But she yeah. was a chick magnet. She got you guys over to my house. <laughs> but anyway, uh, but yeah, you would. You, so she was, and then we went and we did a formal. We went to a formal at UCLA. That was hilarious. That was at UCLA. I always think how we actually managed to make those plans since there were no cell phones. I know. How did that come together? I have no like, idea. Yeah, like landlines or like carrier pigeons. I how pay, this... I, there was a payphone at the fraternity. I must have called her like a month before. She goes, hey, do you want to go to this formal? I, you can go with this girl, and then I'm going to go with – and then I go, okay. And then like we didn't yeah. like bother to check up, and I just, we just show road up. tripped in a crappy car, got down there with tuxes. Oh, man, yeah. it, was, it was horrible. Do you remember throwing those, that guy's shoes out the car window? Oh, my God, I forgot about that. Why do you remind me of these things? Um, yeah, no. <laughs> that was her date. Her date was probably, a real slime ball. He probably, I didn't, yeah, walk, go, bye. I her, don't know. <laughs> her date wanted to hook up with my date, right? Yep. Yeah, yep. that's right. And then, and I told you. He came up to me yep. and asked if we could switch. And I told you. <laughs> and then I, because I was so pissed off at him. And then we, and so we found his shoes in the backseat of your car. And we threw them out, or our car. I don't know why yeah. they were there, and we threw them out on the 405. Yeah, I think that sounds about like my attitude. Jody, <laughs> since Greg brought up the topic of hooking up, I heard allegedly that mm-hmm. when you would bring some of your like gal friends to hang out with Greg, he had a tendency 
of finding them to be rather interesting and, and amassed quite, I think the kids call it, a body count <laughs> among your friends. Is that right? That, that, that sounds about right. It was more when we were in post, post-college in yes. our early work years, yeah. um, and he'd come visit me in New York, and oftentimes there was a friend that we were all going out, or even back when I was back in San Francisco going out, and somehow or another, yeah, it, there was always a hookup involved, right? Yes, Greg? there was. You were yeah. like, you were my wingman before I even knew I, what I a wingman was. <laughs> it did get awkward, though, because you had a studio apartment. Oh, no. <laughs> and you and you were like she is kindly hosting you. Yeah, in Brooklyn, studio apartment in Brooklyn. I remember well, I remember some awkward awkward moments. Your daughter's right to my right, so I don't know how <laughs> far I can get into this. Except to say that you moved to the floor. Oh yeah. that yeah. was a, that was such a good host subtle. of you to uh, very move to the subtle. floor. But uh yeah, we had some good times. We had a, we had yeah. some great we you took me to some great bars. One of the bars burned down. The it was yeah. a great bar. Quit Squidley's? Yeah. Quibbly's? Yeah. Well, they rebuilt it, I think. Oh, did um, they? Yeah. Uh, oh, gosh. No, I'm sorry. It's okay. I can't think of it right now. But, yeah. And it, was like a, it was an old – it was <laughs> – it was an old speakeasy, right? In the yes. middle of that building, kind of? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I also was informed that there was a Vegas trip, and I shudder to ask about it, but I'm going to anyway, with a reminder that this is all you know, live national radio. Jody, what is a weekend in Vegas with Greg Gutfeld like? Yeah, and again, this was this was during college, so a bunch of my friends drove up from L.A., and a bunch of his friends flew in from Cal. I don't know how we organized that and stayed. Were we in, like, one room? Yes. At, like, a Motel 6. There oh. was so many of us. Yes. Um, so it wasn't, like, cool Vegas. It was, like, <laughs> 18-year-olds in Vegas. It was <laughs> – You know, I – it was, like, trying to – it was, like, you were going to go down to the blackjack table, and you had $5, we were trying to find like, is there like a dollar table or something? Um, There's a lot of free drinks going on though, and and some all you can eat buffet. Yeah, because they feed yes. you drinks, so you keep gambling. We have like yeah. thirty seconds, Jody. Knowing everything that you know about Greg through your life, are you surprised at his success? I'm not surprised. He was always super bright and funny, and um, I think he just took him a, his path was a little long. But I remember when um, John Stewart had that show on. Uh, MTV, I thought, that should be Greg. Greg would be better at that. Well, and, and uh, here we are, a couple of yeah. years later. Yes. Jody Penner, longtime friend mm-hmm. of Greg Gutfeld. Her daughter is Greg's assistant. Say it's hello. amazing here in Fox World. I think her mic's off, but we're waving to her. <laughs> Greg Gutfeld, The Five Every Day. Gutfeld at 11 p.m. on Fox News Channel. Great to see you. Let's do it again. Same here, man. Greg Gutfeld, our guest. Another hour of The Guy Benson Show is straight ahead. From the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. A brand new hour now underway here on the Guy Benson Show on this Tuesday. Thank you very much for tuning in up here in New York City. Glad to have you all along. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. Podcast is always free. At Guy Benson Show, Twitter and Instagram, you can follow us there. While I'm up here in New York, the next couple days, very busy on the TV side. Gutfeld tomorrow, outnumbered on Thursday, so set your DVRs now. Both of those shows on Fox News Channel. Fox News alert as we begin the hour. The Dow closing the day up 337 points, closing at 30,523. Joining me now is the House Republican leader, Congressman Kevin McCarthy of California. 
and the man who I believe will be the next Speaker of the House. Mr. Leader, it's great to have you back on the show. I'm glad to be back, but I, I don't like to have to follow Gutfeld. That's pretty tough. <laughs> it's a tough act to follow, as Shannon you know, Bream knew for a long time at midnight on the East Coast, and now that's our friend Trace Gallagher's time slot. But I think it's sort of an interesting, just like a vibe shift from Gutfeld to the next Speaker of the House, King of Late Night to the next Speaker. That's not a bad lineup on a Tuesday. No, I love that show, though. I've done it one time, <clears throat> and before I went on, my, my daughter, I'm up in New York, and my daughter texts me, I need to talk to you. I'm thinking, oh, my God, there's something wrong. I call up, oh, Megan, what's up? I just heard you going on Gutfield tonight. Dad, do not try to be funny. I'm serious. <laughs> <laughs> that was her advice. I, and I think the show's fabulous. It's a great show. A great and, I, and I think it was actually not bad advice from your daughter. I think some people who try to come overprepared oh, with a bunch of material it it needs to be more organic and yes. so yes. so kudos to your daughter she sort of like i think gave you a helpful tip to success uh, to succeed on that show speaking of success congressman i want to ask you about the upcoming midterm elections we are exactly three weeks out 21 days from right now november the 8th i heard from a buddy of mine who was at one of the recent nrcc events sort of one of these off-the-record briefings, that there were some tantalizing nuggets in the polling that you guys are seeing. I'm not sure how much you want to reveal. Maybe just give us a broad sense of what you're seeing, how you're feeling three weeks out. Look, it's a fight and always will be. Uh, the Democrats believe they'll pick up seats. They, they believe they'd pick up seats last time. Remember that? I know, remember for everybody who pays the Cook Report thousands of dollars, they, they said we'd lose 15 seats, and it was the first time since 94 we didn't lose one seat, but we actually beat 14 Democrats. Um, I see Republicans can be competitive in places we haven't been competitive in the past, and I want to give all the credit to the candidates themselves. We have some amazing candidates. I mean, you look at Rhode Island. We haven't been holding a seat here since 91, Alan Fung, second generation or first generation American family came from, mother and father came from China. He's been a prosecutor. He's been a mayor, overwhelmingly um, popular. You you look at um, George in Connecticut, Logan, very competitive race right there. You go out to Oregon. We have three competitive races, Lori Chavez-Dereemer, Erickson, Alex Carlotto. Do you know Alec by chance? No, I've heard the name, but I have not okay. followed the remember, race closely. Remember the um, three Americans who stopped the terrorist attack on the Paris train? Yes, yes, that I do Alex. know this story, yes. Yeah, he's fabulous, right? And then you go down Juan Siscomani in Arizona, who had immigrated to America when he was 11 years old. Um, just an amazing individual. I mean, Wesley Hunt in Texas is coming. John James is coming. Uh, I was just with Jen Kiggins down in Norfolk against uh, uh, Luria. She's going to win. Here she is. She is a nurse practitioner. She was a Navy helicopter pilot. She's a state senator. Uh, her husband's an F-18 pilot. Her, two of her kids are in the military. I mean, um, she is so impressive. Um, I'm going to Yesley Vega tonight, doing an event for her. Yeah, Virginia. I've been, yeah, I've been to, uh, I think I've been to 38 states since the summer started. And the part I'm trying to make here is there is probably no place in America we can't win because of what the issues are, the issues that they want to see a new direction. And that's really what the commitment does, the commitment to America. Mm -hmm. It focuses on four main areas, an economy that's strong. That means about stopping this inflation. And inflation was created by the Democrats and the American uh, Rescue Plan. I mean, remember, Larry Summers warned them. 
This is a Democrat Secretary of Treasury warned him not to vote for this that it caused inflation. Steve Ratner, remember him, yep. the Democrat advisor to Obama? He calls it the original sin of inflation. Then when he went after our energy, making us dependent on other nations, we're going to make us energy independent. We're going to bring the supply chain back from China. And then, then we focus on making a nation that is safe. I mean, we know what the Democrats have done by defunding the police. You've watched crime at the highest level in 20 years. But then not having the border, just the wide open border. Now we have fentanyl killing our children. Um, we've got to secure the border. And then you just talk about being in Virginia. We all know there's a future that's built on freedom. A parent's bill of rights, that your parents should have a say in your kid's education. Um, then we go out, we go make a level playing field for big tech and then a government that's accountable. We've got to preserve our constitutional freedoms, but we've got to hold Washington accountable at the same time. On that point of accountability, because I wanted to walk through the commitment to America, you just did that. It seems like sensible stuff that all Republicans can get behind. There's room for disagreement on certain things and different issues, but when you want to present a vision to the country, you want to do so with a united front and House Republicans, I think, are doing that here. Accountability, I think, is one that definitely appeals to a lot of base voters, right? You want to win over some independents and some folks who may not always vote Republican on the economy, on crime, on schools and that sort of thing. There are a lot of base voters who also say it's been almost two years of unchecked political power. For the Democrats in Washington, the Biden-Harris administration, Chuck Schumer and the Senate Democrats, Nancy Pelosi and the House Democrats, and then, of course, the media, which is overwhelmingly on their side as well. They're tired of it. They are fired up to come out and vote. What would be the balancing act in your mind as a potential future Speaker of the House to say House Republicans will now have some levers of power, subpoena power, that kind of thing, to try to bring some accountability to Washington, D.C., without going down rabbit holes into overkill in a way that distracts from the core pillars of the commitment. How do you balance that for the American people? Well, first and foremost, whoever – Congress should always have a check and balance. It doesn't matter if your party is in the administration or not. Every committee has, should have an oversight committee. You're spending trillions of dollars. Why aren't you having oversight? Why aren't you making sure that the money is going to the right place? And then think about this. Think about what we just went through in the pandemic. Why don't we know where the origins of COVID started? We watched what happened in Afghanistan. Why don't we know what happened in those last two months, not listening to the military advice and creating 13 new Gold Star families? We, we would never want to repeat that again. Why wouldn't we know why the DOJ, why would he call parents terrorists? Did it have something to do with getting a letter signed by a group and have that group even pull it back? I mean, was that political bound? I mean, these are simple things that should have, have happened on a bipartisan basis. You know, Democrats will be on our committees, too. They have a right to ask questions. We, we handle it much different than Democrats. We, we have an open place. We believe in the Article One. We believe we have a responsibility here for a check and balance. And we watched this government run amok simply because they had no check and balance. There's a, there's a reason why I believe it won't just be Fauci who retires before we take the majority. I believe there'll probably be a few cabinet members as well. But that will not stop us from getting to the truth. Do you think that Alejandro Mayorkas should be impeached? Look, I never – I'm not going to use impeachment for political purposes. But that doesn't mean if something rises to the level, we won't use impeachment. He has an opportunity to come and explain to us what is going on in the border. 
but he has to answer the questions. I mean, you're going to have 300 Americans die from being poisoned from fentanyl today. You're going to have 300 more tomorrow, the next day, and the next day. That's the equivalent to an airliner crashing every single day in America. That is a crisis. And for him to say the border is secure, we have people who are on the terrorist watch list coming into this nation. We have millions walking across. That has got to stop, and I think on all sides of the aisle. And if he's not going to do his job, get out of the way. Congressman Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader in the House, is our guest. I did see some buzz today about something that you mentioned involving Ukraine, U.S. aid to Ukraine. You had suggested that if Republicans win back the House and then control some of those purse strings, of course, the empty check or blank check to Ukraine would no longer be the status quo, the de facto posture of Congress. Some people have interpreted that as saying that you would want to cut off aid to Ukraine. Other people are saying, no, he's just saying it's not a blank check anymore. What did you mean by that comment? I mean very clearly, it doesn't matter what topic you are. There is no blank check for anything. We have a three thirty-one trillion dollar deficit here. We should make sure these are taxpayer dollars. Look, I support Ukraine's ability to defend themselves from Russia's brutal invasion. I support it. I supported the resources. But what has to happen, no matter where we're spending money, there needs to be a check and balance. Nothing should get a blank check, and we should make sure that the money is being spent correctly, no matter what the topic is. You mentioned that you're going to be heading down to Virginia in that Vega race. She's running against Spanberger, Abigail Spanberger, who just recently pulled out of one of their, I think their only scheduled debate. She couldn't handle the fact that my friend Larry O'Connor was going to be one of the moderators, so she freaked out, pulled out. It looks like there'll be no debate in that race. We're actually seeing it in a number of contests across the country, Democrats refusing to debate their Republican opponents. What do you make of that? Have you seen that kind of pattern before in our politics? I just saw Rudy Rudy Salas pull out of the televised debate against David Valadeo. Um, They can't run on the record. They have nothing to run on. I mean, think about it. Let's talk about the number one issue to American families. And it's in every single poll. It doesn't matter if it's CNN, CBS, Fox, or whatever. The cost of living. And where did the cost of living come from? The Democrats' spending. And then what did they do? Then in their bill, they paid people more to stay home, which created inflation more. They added more regulations, which added inflation. They went after the energy production in America, which made the price of fuel higher, which made everything cost more. They can't defend their actions. Every day people go to the store and it costs more. Every day when they go to the gas station, it's providing more. And then we find out the president of the United States lied to Americans because he did go to Saudi Arabia and beg them not to cut production until after the election. I mean, why is he making us dependent on another nation, and why isn't he going to Texas, to Oklahoma, and having Americans create jobs that make us energy independent at, all, at the same time? I mean, it's a target-rich environment politically, from the economy inflation to crime in the border, schools, parental rights, energy, just the list goes on. And based on that polling you were just citing, it really looks like the issues that matter the most to voters are the ones where Democrats are losing. So maybe I'm not surprised some of them are just not eager to debate it on a stage or on TV in front of voters. But we'll see how that pans out for them on November the 8th. Kevin McCarthy, our guest, and Mr. Leader, maybe next time we speak, we'll call you Mr. Speaker. How about that? All right. Good to talk to you again. Look forward to coming back on. Looking forward to that. Kevin McCarthy, House Republican Leader of California on The Guy Benson Show, back right after this break.
I'm Guy Benson. We are back. Glad to have you here. Last week, for a couple shows, we were down in Atlanta, Georgia, at Extra 106.3, our great affiliate down there. And following up on a discussion that we had last week on the show, it's time for one of these. It's a Guy Benson Show Jim Crow on Steroids Georgia Voter Suppression Update. How's that suppression looking these days? We have a fresh update in a moment. Earlier in the show, we played some sound bites from the debate last night between Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia and the woman who kind of thinks she's governor of Georgia because she's uh, delusional and a conspiracy theorist, Stacey Abrams, his opponent. And Kemp went after her for her endless string of, I would say, very toxic democracy eroding lies about the new voter reforms in that state. She called them Jim Crow, Jim Crow 2.0. She got the all-star game yanked out of that state. She got boycotts brewing through her demagoguery, which was just false. And Kemp let her have it on the debate stage and cut 11. I would just say uh, that Miss Abrams is going to do a lot of attacking of my record tonight because she doesn't want to talk about her own record. In 2018, in the governor's race, we had the largest African-American turnout in the country. She said that Senate Bill 202, our recent Elections Integrity Act, what we passed two years ago, would be suppressive in Jim Crow 2.0. Just this past May in our primaries, we again had record turnout in the Republican primary and the Democratic primary. In Georgia, it's easy to vote and hard to cheat. She can't accept that. No matter how often she takes an L, she tries to spin it humiliatingly into a W for herself. It doesn't work. So even when reality disproved her lies about voter suppression and Jim Crow and all of that, imagine invoking Jim Crow. Joe Biden called it worse than Jim Crow, worse than Jim Crow. What Georgia did to reform their election system after a chaotic 2020 cycle. Think about how morally bankrupt and historically illiterate and or I would say you would have to be to go down that route. Joe Biden, Raphael Warnock, Stacey Abrams have all done precisely that. Then we saw the primaries, exploding turnout, record-shattering numbers, and Abrams had to say, well, suppression doesn't necessarily mean that voting turnout is lower or people don't vote in large numbers. Actually, that's exactly what suppression does. It suppresses votes. When votes aren't suppressed and you set new turnout records, there isn't suppression. And people screaming suppression are lying, and they should not be taken seriously. Well, you might say, well, that's just a, a primary. That's just one data point. Maybe the suppression comes next time. Well, guess what? We're at next time. The general election is now underway in the state of Georgia with their suppressive Jim Crow 17 days of early voting now underway, which is a lot more, much more generous than many other states, including blue states. Raphael Warnock went out and voted yesterday on the first day of early voting to showcase, hey, you can now do this. Go get your ballots in early. Seems like a very far cry from Jim Crow or suppression because that is all garbage. Even though he said it, she said it, the president of the United States went down there and said it, just disgraceful, shameful stuff. Well, guess what happened on day one of the early vote yesterday? In Georgia, Gabriel Sterling, who we've had on the show, who works for the secretary of state, he said this last night, our elections team has reviewed the initial early vote 
for day one. We know we are north of 125,000 ballots. This dwarfs the previous record of 72,000 from 2018 in a midterm first day of early voting. And he said they will continue to update us on the progress. So the early voting on day one in 2022 almost doubled the previous record from 2018. This is the opposite of voter suppression. And the people who lied about it, which did economic harm, which stirred up needless racial tensions for cynical, craven political reasons, Senator Warnock, fake Governor Abrams, President Biden, we shouldn't forget what they did. We cannot forget what they said. And thank goodness, reality is fact-checking them in real time. They'll never admit it, but the truth speaks for itself, and it's speaking loudly. The Guy Benson Show continues with Woke Tales, coming up after this. Talking about the issues you care about, Guy Benson. Midway through the Tuesday edition of the Guy Benson Show from New York City, the next couple of broadcasts today, tomorrow, Thursday. Thank you for listening. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. Podcast is always free of charge on demand when the show is over just past 6 p.m. Eastern time. Speaking of time, I think it's time for Woke Tales. Woke Tales. This story comes to us from the Chronicle of Higher Education Just listen to the headline. A petition on sexual assault called for more security. Then came the backlash. So this is a story from the University of Pittsburgh, where in recent days there have been three sexual assaults on or near campus at Pitt. And some students, understandably, got very upset about what was happening and got a petition going online That went viral on campus, and people were demanding that the school respond to this in a very serious way. You have women being attacked right around campus, now multiple times, and the students were speaking out. We don't accept this. There were phrases like rape culture tossed around, which I think actually is a false premise. We don't need to socialize the blame of rape onto a community. There's no culture of rape on a college campus, certainly these days. But if criminals feel like they can get away with things, then you might get a culture of crime. And some of those crimes might be sexual assault. So I think the students were absolutely right to take this extremely seriously, to demand answers, to demand action. Students have a right to feel physically safe where they live and where they attend school. Not emotionally safe and all the nonsense about safe spaces. I reject that, but physically safe? Absolutely. And that's the job of a college campus. They're entrusted with the safety and security of their students. So this all happened, and the University of Pittsburgh hopped right to it. They did what you would expect them to do which is respond to these demands with beefed-up security, which makes sense, but not to the woke crowd. There was a backlash to the increased security 
after the sexual assaults because why? Because it meant there were more police officers on campus. And apparently, according to the hardcore, progressive, woke left, they hate police officers more than they hate rape. That's sort of the upshot here. Let me read from the story. After a string of sexual assaults at the University of Pittsburgh, an online petition surfaced last week calling for increased security on campus. Within 24 hours, it accumulated 6,000 signatures and drew more than 100 students to a protest that disrupted a university homecoming performance. So they also had to get in on the protesting act, disrupting things, but it was for, at least in this case, a legitimate cause. University officials responded with a series of new security measures, but just as quickly, student backlash ensued. The petition was deleted, and a lengthy apology about the petition's apparent support for more policing appeared anonymously on Reddit. So the story goes on to say the backlash has come in particular from those concerned that an increased police presence will threaten the safety of students of color. Some students voice these concerns at the protests. Others voice their displeasure through lengthy comments on the Reddit thread. So you have sexual assaults happening in and around campus to a point that there was a cluster of them freaking people out. Administrators say, let's bring in more police to protect the students. And then you have other people saying, no, no, we don't want those police because that threatens the safety of students of color. What an insult. The rapists threaten the safety of students, not the people enforcing the law and protecting the students from said rapists or sexual assailants however many of them there might be in this case. This is when madness completely takes over, where actual threats to public safety are conflated with the threat police writ large pose, supposedly, to public safety. So, yes, you actually had students and activists saying, no, we reject the extra security to protect fellow students against sexual assaults because it involves people with a badge. They're scary and they could do violence to people of color. It's absolutely insane. This is the defund the police mentality. I know Democrats are running away from it on a national political scale right now for electoral reasons, but their base and their future base is made up of these people who look at a string of sexual assaults against their peers all around them and reject more police because they are so ideologically committed to loathing law enforcement. The student who got the whole protest and petition going, right, who took the lead in demanding action in response to the sexual assaults, then published this huge, long diatribe, self-flagellating and apologizing for doing so. The male student wrote this, the fact that it appears that more police officers are being added to campus because of what I did makes me a monster, and I know it. Profusely apologizing for correctly speaking out against a series of crimes because speaking out got more people brought in to help prevent the crimes. And that apparently is the even graver crime. I mean, 
a rape or two here or there or three, I guess that is somewhat acceptable to some of these students. Having law enforcement there to prevent further sexual assaults, that is a line that cannot be crossed. And here's this person saying, I'm a monster because more police are now on campus. And now I'm sure the administration is trying to figure out what the hell's next. Do they draw back on the police presence? What happens if there's another sexual assault? Which level of the grievance totem pole wins out? This is why adults need to be adults. Don't run around constantly cowering and prostrating yourself before the woke mob of students because their ideology is completely incoherent and contradictory and you can never win. Do the responsible adult thing, protect people, prize physical safety over emotional safety. Do not allow those things to be conflated, as these activists so often try to do, and assert your authority. We'll see how the pit higher-ups handle all of this. Meanwhile, since we're on the woke tales train, I wanted to share with you this. It's a New York Times columnist, Charles Blow, left-winger. He is now concerned that white supremacy, which they have broadly defined and hugely overapplied to all sorts of different things, where almost anything that leftists and progressives don't like are in some way related to white supremacy. That's the way that their argument, if you can call it that, has devolved. But I guess the term white supremacy is no longer really sufficient or might not work as well moving forward. So Charles Blow has decided that there's a new definition of white supremacy. We've got a new white supremacy that has just dropped, and folks, it's called light supremacy. He says, it's a theory that worries me and that I have written about, that with the browning of America, white supremacy could simply be replaced by or buffeted by a form of light supremacy, in which fairer-skinned people perpetuate a modified anti-blackness rather than eliminating it. And I guess his news hook for this was the Los Angeles City Council, where the Latinx president of that body was caught on tape making extremely racist comments about black people. And then she apologized, and then she resigned from the presidency, but she wanted to hang on to her council seat, and I guess now she's finally going to resign that too. But this was an opportunity not to say, hey, look, racism sometimes still exists, including within our own coalition from the perspective of Charles Blow. No, it's now like white supremacy might not cut it anymore. Let's come up with a new term in the future after America has been more sufficiently browned where lighter or fairer-skinned people then wield the power over darker-skinned minorities. We've actually seen this in some polling, too, where they're now starting to break out Hispanics into lighter-skinned or darker-skinned Hispanics. And we've seen this also with Asian people being put into the white category or not into the people of color category, except when it is useful to the wokes. Imagine being this obsessed with race and skin color. At this point in our history, I think there are a lot of people across the racial spectrum who are so ready to transcend race and move on from it, which is not to say we're perfect or racism is gone or any of that. But there is a cottage industry of people on the left 
that are as fixated on skin color and race as any racist ever has been. And when they feel like that cottage industry is threatened because people are actually progressing for the most part and society is moving past it, they're finding new ways to shoehorn the problem into the new reality. Rather than celebrating the browning of America, they're like, oh, no, white supremacy might not be the successful bogeyman anymore. Let's call it light supremacy and pit groups against each other based on the overall shade of their skin. I would love to know who makes those calls. Does Charles Blow get to decide who's on the light side versus the dark side of the future light supremacist civil war or whatever he's fantasizing about? It's so creepy. So be on the lookout for that. Coming soon to an American near you, according to the left, light supremacy, where being a person of color, well, might not quite count anymore. We'll have to maybe hold your hand up next to one of those palettes of colors. And they can maybe they can assign us numbers based on skin color. I would be a one, by the way, maybe a zero on a bad day. I'm making some light of it, but I do find this so distasteful and off-putting. And it is all the rage on the so-called progressive left, which is why we do segments like woke tales. The Guy Benson Show is back right after this. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. As we continue here on the Guy Benson Show, glad you're here with us. I saw this earlier from David Weigel, who had an interview with John Fetterman, the Democratic nominee for Senate in Pennsylvania, and he's under fire on crime. And he's looking around and wondering, why, how is it that all these Pennsylvanians suddenly are convinced by these lying Republicans that I'm soft on crime? He's denying that he's soft on crime. He and his campaign denying that he said so many of the things that he has, like talking about the advisability of emptying the prisons by one third, eliminating life without parole for second degree murderers, et cetera, et cetera. We've talked about it before. It seemed like the only thing that Fetterman was willing to get out of bed and do when it comes to his job, he's not big on work, never has been. It's easy, I guess, when mom and dad send you tens of thousands of dollars every year just to subsidize your activist lifestyle or whatever you're up to. But when he's lieutenant governor, he frequently did not show up for work, didn't preside over the Senate, which was his job. He would have empty schedules completely for like a third of the days. But he seemed to rarely miss, if ever, a parole board meeting where he consistently voted to release violent felons. So Weigel asked Fetterman this question, when does someone convicted of first-degree murder deserve clemency? Now, there are a lot of Americans who believe that people convicted of first-degree murder deserve death, deserve capital punishment. And a lot of people who don't believe in the death penalty but believe in punishing very bad behavior, would agree that if you commit first-degree murder, you're done. You never see the outside of a jail cell again. You live and then you die behind bars because you deliberately planned a premeditated murder or an aggravated murder of someone else and took away their life. They get no second shot. So this is a question about first-degree murders. And Weigel asks, when should someone convicted of first-degree murder get clemency? And Fetterman's response, and I guess 
this was either back and forth via emails or there was a closed captioning situation over Zoom. This was not in person. But here's what Fetterman said. Quote, it's really a very simple choice. I believe the perfect metaphor is the Shawshank Redemption. That's a touchstone that virtually everybody has seen, everybody understands. I've asked people, would you want Morgan Freeman to die in prison or not? And I've never met anybody that says, yeah, he should die in prison. I would have voted to have him die in prison. That is Fetterman's answer. An anecdote about a fictional character from the Shawshank Redemption, a movie that I love. It's one of my favorite movies ever. Almost everyone has seen it. Now, Morgan Freeman, I think, if memory serves, was convicted of a crime of passion. I think it was a second-degree murder as a very young man. And he eventually gets out as an old man. Red is that character's name, right? Isn't it? Red? He's, what, in his 70s? He spent 50 years, maybe more behind bars, before he gets a second chance. I don't believe he was a first-degree murderer in that movie. And John Fetterman believes, like, oh, well, if that fictional character, if you feel any sympathy toward that sympathetic character in a movie, if you feel like that character shouldn't have died behind bars, then, what, no one should? He called it a very simple choice. It's not simple at all. I think if you want a simple answer, it's first-degree murderers never get out. That's the simple answer. But if you want to be a little bit more complex and say there might be very limited circumstances under which this would be okay, granting clemency to someone convicted of first-degree murder, then you make that case. You make it based on the specifics of the case and why. You don't say, oh, well, didn't you like Red in Shawshank Redemption? What the hell kind of answer is that? And by the way, one of the first-degree murderers, real-life, non-fictional, first-degree murderers that John Fetterman voted to let out of prison, he was the only one, thank God. The rest of the board voted no. It was a man who, at age 18, murdered a high school student, beating him viciously with a baseball bat, and then shooting him to death. The victim was the son of a cop. It was a gang-related, retaliatory killing. That guy is now in his 40s or 50s. Or was at the time that Fetterman said, yep, let him out. Everyone else disagreed. No resemblance to a fictional character that is a real first-degree murderer with a real kid-of-a-cop victim. And Fetterman's brain says, because he liked a fictional character in a movie one time, then there's no limiting principle to that. It's very simple. Why not let everyone out? That's the simple choice he's talking about here. No one should die in prison. Everyone should get out at some point. That is Fetterman's answer right now, not some dredged up quote from the past. He said that, I believe the interview was yesterday. It is incredibly sophomoric, juvenile, stupid, simplistic thinking. And the moral calculus is absolutely dead wrong. So there's John Fetterman on crime. How could anyone ever imagine he might be soft on crime? Just a breathtaking, very revealing answer. The Guy Benson Show continues. Final hour coming up after this. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. 
It's the happy hour on the Guy Benson Show on this Tuesday from New York. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Guy Benson. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. The podcast is always free on demand when the show is over. Follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at Guy Benson Show. And this hour is sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. It's so good. We just confirmed a big shipment for our Christmas party. Oh, yeah, it's happening. TheLongDrink.com. You can find out where it's sold near you. You can order online. TheLongDrink.com. Always drink responsibly. 21 plus only. With us here in studio in our New York headquarters is our final guest of the day, Jessica Tarloff, Fox News contributor, co-host of The Five, and head of research at Bustle, plus chief romance and baby correspondent here at The Guy Benson Show. She wears many hats, including mother. It's great to see you. It's great to see you. Welcome up north. It's very good to be back here in the city. I do want to ask you this before we get into politics. Number one, we've got Cleo's first Halloween coming up. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Are you a big Halloween person? I like it. I'm not. I stopped dressing up about a decade ago, which still makes me 28 when that happened. Um, but I do like the energy of it. I'm a big candy person. You know, one of those like sweet or savory. It's never savory for me. Oh, I'm um, always savory. Well, not well, always. we can share things then. That's true. Um, I'll take your appetizer. You can yeah. have my dessert. I appreciate it. Um, but I just think it's a. It's a fun holiday, and I love that it's for everybody, right, that, like, adults have made it into their own thing. Like, parents seem to have their own kind of versions of Halloween where, you know, they do the trick-or-treating and then, I mean, more suburban parents, I guess, but then, like, they go to parties at people's houses. I don't know. I've seen it on the television, and (laughs) obviously it's cute for kids. You're like, I have no idea how real people interact, but on the TV. Right. I'm basically like a pod person, um, but I have watched a lot of things, and I have seen parents having fun on Halloween without children. So I like guess, in Hocus Pocus, which and in Hocus I Pocus two, have not seen. I haven't watched it yet either. I'm waiting for my best friend from college because we used to do the Sanderson sisters walk. You know how they go, like they shift sides. No, I've never seen the original. Stop it! Right, cancel this show. Go and watch it right now. Really? Yes, really. I just don't really love Halloween. Christine, I'm. St- Back me up here. Sisters. Yeah. Sisters. Is that a quote from the movie, I hope? No, we're just saying it for fun. It might be. Yeah. You might have some sort of little, I don't know, cabal. I'll, I'll show you the walk when I'm not strapped to the earphones. Okay. Uh, will that increase the likelihood of me watching the movie, though? Probably not. And okay. I look nothing like Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, or Kathy and Jimmy, but it's fun. Sarah Jessica Parker's in this movie? Yeah. This is kind of what made her famous. Really? Was this, was this a 90s movie? 80s or 90s? It was pure 90s. Very 90s. Okay, I haven't seen it. And I know the gays are obsessed with it. This is another one where, like, my card is going to get temporarily taken away. Again. I mean, you're a Republican, so I feel like you have no card. Well, I got it back because I went to a Carly Rae Jepsen concert. So it's like, all right, you get it back for a while. And then it's like, oh, Hocus Pocus, never seen it. And it's gone. And you did Backstreet Boys. I did. So you got it back for that? I think so. Yeah. Gay cards back. All right. <laughs> I mean, that's more embarrassing than doing the Sanderson sisters <laughs> walk. <laughs> but the whole reason I went down this path with you was to see, are you going to dress Cleo up for oh, Halloween? Yes. She's an octopus. Oh. I have the costume. I will text you preliminary video of her trying to crawl in it. And she can't grip with her hands because she has like too many tentacles. She has too many tentacles and like pads on her hand. Um, and there's a 
a head that has like the googly eyes on top of it, and we picked it because what color is the? She is a purple octopus. I was hoping it would be purple. And I don't know why. We met a kid. We went. She went to her first birthday party. It's not her first birthday. A friend's son's first birthday. The like, first we attended, party that she has attended. Got she it. Has attended. Um, and there was a very cute, chonky two-year-old there. But do they just, Ooh. like, sit around staring at each other? Because they're very young. Yeah, they, don't, they play next to each other. Like, no one is actually interacting except she got she got mauled for the first time. She got kissed for the first time. Whoa. I have that on video. Whoa. And then he got a little grabby, pulled her hair. I mean, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't trying to go I mean, further necessarily, but he's a little boy. Uh, is he aware that we are in a post-Me Too era? Well, his dad is because he texted me. I mean, they were horrified, and apparently he's like this. And he was like, we have to get him trained before trained. he gets canceled, even before he knows what canceled is. Um, or like what words are. Yeah, he has no words. Um, Cleo has more words than him, but boys develop slower. Does Cleo have words? Well, she has mama when she's in a panic. It's really funny. She doesn't give us anything, and then if something isn't going her way, like a kid takes her toy at the – she hangs out at this little mama. community center. Mama! <laughs> so she's going to be a little octopus. But she might also think her nanny is her mom. Yeah. But that's a whole other psychological thing that's going on. Oh, uh, we can work. We can unpack that another time. Yeah. Right? And the My ap- therapist. The is after show. The after yeah. show. You know, Christina has a whole team of therapists. If you need another one, she can always <laughs> refer you if necessary. I don't know how good they are, though, given, you know – the results, but are you then going to dress up? Because sometimes parents then use the excuse like, "Oh, yeah. the kids are doing it, so now it's time for us and to we've relive be a unit. our youth, and we're going to do a like a family costume or anything like that." No, so I would be open to it, but I'm a bad mom, and I'm actually away on the weekend. I have a wedding in Savannah, Georgia. Oh, lovely! So, yes, it will be lovely, and it was very explicit. This is black tie, not black tie Halloween. So you can't just come in, like, your fanciest costume. So my mom will be with Cleo over the weekend, and I think that's when, like, the baby, like, the toddler parade is and things like that. Mm. Um, So Monday, I actually, I have the 5 on the 31st, so I'm not done till 6. Are you guys not dressing up? No. I feel like if any show would be Fox and Friends. Oh, the 5, you mean. Or you guys. I don't think so. Like, doing a little something fun on the air? Well, if we, I'm sure we'll do fun things, but I have not been notified that I'm getting a costume. And I doubt they would just like let the liberal be the only one that doesn't get one. I would like the only one actually to dress up, be the judge. I want to see a judge. I, maybe I want to see Janine in costume, everyone else in their normal TV clothes. All right. And if anyone objects overruled, <laughs> well, we're really, uh, I'm sorry. Did you want to talk about anything else? Not besides, really. Uh... Apparently not. <laughs> okay. I'm just, I'm not even a dad yet, but I'm making dad jokes already. I'm it's preparing. Great. That's my it's costume. Good. You should be like that. All right, so I think we've exhausted this topic. I mean, that's although, what you think. Although, 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 you said you're a big candy person, sweet tooth. Do you have, like, I like all- candy corn, if that's where you were going. Oh, I, I wasn't, but wow, you just volunteered that. Well, because that's always the thing. Like, are you a candy corn person or not, right? And I think for 90% of Americans, the answer is no. Is it 90? No. 80? I don't know. I feel like a lot of people. Yeah, like Christine's candy. on your side. It's almost you do you can do your little sisters thing again. Yeah. Your your candy corn sisters together here. I like the candy corn pumpkin though, more than the corn. It's than like the, the same taste, but it's shaped as a pumpkin. Okay, I, I stay know. away from it. I am not a big sweet tooth. If I'm going to do candy, I like chocolate. Peanut M and M's is my number one. Oh yeah. Maybe Snickers. That's about that's about it. Yum. I, I like it all. But like Reese's. S- 
Reese's is fine. That like the peanut butter fine. cups. Yeah. Yeah, peanut butter cups are pretty good, especially if they've been frozen in oh, the freezer. I like so that. peanut M and M's in the fridge, so they're chilled, not frozen. Peanut M and M, or sorry, peanut butter cups in the freezer, so they're a little frozen. I like that you have rules about what level of chill. Yeah, I just I have I have plans You're for this stuff. Man. I am, I just know what I like, but I do not like the super sweet. Sour Patch Kids, Skittles, that entire oh, range of candy. Where are you on the gummy nation? Oh, I do kind of like gummy bears, honestly. Yeah, well, you say that like as if it's a sin or not. Well, I, I'm sort People of embarrassed. Love gummy bears. So on, I fly a lot, and so on United, I sometimes get a free snack because of, of my status. Of course you do. And they have, although not as much post COVID, it's not as frequent. But they had one of the offerings was like a whole thing of gummy bears, <gasps> and I have ashamedly eaten entire things of gummy bears in flight multiple times. You want to hear how gross I was about gummy bears three nights ago? Three nights ago. Three nights ago this happened. True story. So it's like 9 o'clock, so I'm watching my husband sleep on the couch because that's what being married is. And I go into... (laughs) Hot. (laughs) It is hot. Once you've had a kid, until you're gearing up for a second, you're like, eh. Um, And we're not doing that. And I was like, do I have any snacks in the house? So I go in the cabinet. Of course, he had finished the golden double stuffed Oreos, which is my favorite thing. And I see there's a package of, you know, the Sugarfina really like beautifully packaged candies. Do you know that brand? Maybe. Anyway, I opened it and lo and behold, I had three varieties of gummy candies that were all slightly infused with alcohol. And they had been gifted to me on my wedding on my wedding day, but I was three months pregnant and people didn't know. And I realized that like a champagne gummy bear wasn't gonna hurt the fetus, but yeah, why fine. play games with that? So I hadn't eaten them. And this was the first time I discovered them. Let me tell you, a um, a year and f- Four-month-old gummy bear is so hard, and I ate them all. It was disgusting. I sat there watching Bill Maher, <laughs> him sleeping here, eating old champagne gummy bears from my wedding day. Wait, isn't Bill Maher – isn't that a it's, Friday? Oh, we have to DVR it because it's on at 10 on Friday nights, and we've oh, got to so be asleep was, by then. Yeah, You're asleep at 10 o'clock on no, a Friday night? No, he's asleep, and he loves it, so I don't like to watch it without him. But then he's an insomniac, and he gets up at like 2 a.m. and listens to the podcast. But we still like to see the people. So he'll come in and whatever. I, There's so much happening here. Don't live my life. It's not great the way that it sounds. But anyway, I had old gummy bears on Saturday night. Well, thank you for all of that. And it's very exciting. And this episode. And, and Democrats are going to lose the House. Am I done now? Almost, actually. Yeah. That, was my, that was my next uh, topic that I wanted to turn to. I was going to say this episode is brought to you by the Finnish long drink and also diabetes. <laughs> Oh, Although but, you should have the sugar-free long drinks to cut to sort of cut back wait, on your have sugar. Have you talked intake. about Herschel Walker and the diabetes comment in the debate with Warnock? Oh, we have not talked about that. What a dumb dumb. Although he's not wrong about one type of diabetes, correct, but, but not the other kind. Right, which a lot of people have. Anyway, speaking of Warnock, though, there's a soundbite of his I want to play for you. Get your reaction when we come back. Jessica Tarloff, my guest here in studio. It's the happy hour on the Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. We're back. It's the happy hour on The Guy Benson Show. My friend and colleague Jessica Tarloff here with me in studio. Right before the break, you mentioned Raphael Warnock in the Georgia race. This is a soundbite. Not sure if you've heard it yet. This is yesterday. Listen. Democrats have been in control of the White House, of Congress for the past few years. Inflation has soared. Why should Georgia voters give you another chance? We are still 
in the throes of a pandemic that dragged on for more than two years. So bit of a pause there and then a pandemic-related answer. I don't know if there's a great answer to this question from no. the perspective of the Democrats. That was his shot at it. Maybe that's a little bit less bad than calling the economy strong as hell, which is what the president just did. Where do you grade those responses on the scale of political utility? So I happen to think that at this point, it really doesn't matter what you say about the economy. Like people think it's crappy. They think we're on the wrong track by, you know, a 60 point differential. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, it's better to just sound compassionate and, you know, remorseful to some degree if, if policies that you've supported in the short term. Um, have contributed to people's pain. I think one of the most effective arguments, if you are going to do this, and it came from Michael Bennett, who doesn't have the most exciting demeanor necessarily. No. But he talked about, I know, he was my dad's favorite candidate, by the way. I thought it was so funny in the 2020 primary. And he was like, am I the only person donating to Michael Bennett? And I was like, maybe his mom. I think Kennedy called him a human vanilla wafer yes. last night. Yeah. Right. Oh, because you were on right after me. Yes. Um. So I'm glad that we made TV magic by A and B block extension. Um, I think both answers are bad. Um, I think that you should just say that your belief is that there will be long-term positive impacts from the Inflation Reduction Act. These are the things that we do have out of it that matter. Um, like, for instance, did you see the hearing aids, right? These the people would typically spend $3,000 a pair on hearing aids, and now they're going to be available in drugstores um, for people to get. Not for $3,000, just for like $100. Like those kinds of things. Insulin. I would be emphasizing that kind of stuff. But you really – That's not inflation reduction though. That's something else Well, but it is in the – no, that that was part of the Inflation Reduction Act. But I'm saying it doesn't actually reduce inflation. You can call it a something else act. but I've always – okay, that's a very good point. And I've always been for small bills because you can probably pick up Republicans for certain things. Like if you have a Republican on record saying I don't want to reduce the cost of insulin to $35 a month, they look – Pretty awful, right? But if you're not going to get them to sign on to a $1.9 trillion package or Which whatever. Which is the rescue then, plan. The other one was, what, 700 or $800 billion. It's hard to keep track of it Right, all, rescue frankly. plan was one9 Yeah, it's a lot of money that's been thrown it's around. It's a lot of money. Um, we're losing on the economy. I think that this shift that we're seeing towards um, Republicans on the generic ballot and looking at the toss-up races, um, where now I would imagine – that everybody thinks that they're going to get kind of 15 plus seats out of it is because of the rise of crime and public safety as, you know, the second or third most important issue. And inflation really still being bad and all these worries about a deeper recession. I think political gravity is taking hold in a way that it was kind of briefly suspended for for a while before people were really tuned in. I feel like the fundamentals are asserting themselves. That's sort of my theory of the case. Well, gas prices also were going down, and then they spiked back up. And I think that we had a summer, frankly, where the second or third most important thing that people were thinking about was the Dobbs decision. Right, right? and now it's, it's— It looked like it was Ro- Rovember, I think I'm supposed to say. Rovember. I don't have my T-shirt with me. Um, but it— Looks like it's going to yeah. be dead, Ro- Ro- dead cops and people stabbed in the subway. Ember. Yeah, November was canceled. Well, we'll see. Well, it's maybe not- three weeks from now, a lot a of lot things can change. happen. We could have a, a, you know, a, we could have a tape or something. Maybe a WikiLeaks dump. I don't know. Twenty sixteen was wild. That is true. That is true. I mean, I, I doubt it, but yeah, and midterms are different than presidentials. I know. I was we'll, just trying to have fun. We'll see together. I almost said PP tape, and I was like, oh, we still don't have that. Yeah, I feel like it doesn't exist. I don't know. Putin has a lot of stuff. Yeah, but I, I, I just feel like it doesn't exist. Right. If if that existed, 
Such a spoil sport. I'm so sorry to ruin, to, to do like the buzzkill thing. We can start citing the Mueller report here. We start with Hocus Pocus, Candy, and Octopi. And we finish with the P-tape and Bob Mueller. What a segment. It's been I a, think it's, it's been the a best in radio coaster. history. This is, many people are saying, the best segment that's ever been done. Although, you know who would object to that is Greg Gutfeld, who was on earlier, oh. his first time, and he would not want to be shown up Absolutely by not. a fellow Fiverr, let alone on the same episode. And we will make sure he doesn't catch the podcast, unlike everyone else on our growing podcast. Right. Yes. A hundred percent. Have you seen my octopus teacher going back to the octopi? What is this? On Netflix? It's this sh- is not like a weird 90s thing. This is a very important my documentary. octopus documentary? teacher? Yes. So it's about a South African um, documentarian that focuses on wildlife. And he had, you know, this crazy, crazy career oh. and he needed to chill out. And he returned home and they lived in this ocean community, started diving every day. Yeah, did he, he become friends with an octopus? Oh, I think he fully fell in love with her. Like that way? I mean, I, nothing on camera, but it was I definitely would hope like not. that seems it was a real it was a real love affair. It was be- it's a beautiful film. Let's call you it a friendship, because then I might want to see it. Okay. Otherwise, it you know it it starts to get a little creepy. All right, there were it's a it's a very deep friendship, and it's cool that it's cross animals, right? Like that cross species. Species. You know what? I feel like that is the perfect moment to just put an end to this conversation. If we go down the path any further, a we don't have time, and b it could just get stranger. So. I will take it under advisement that there's a nice documentary about an octopus. Your daughter is going to be one for Halloween. And isn't that a beautiful bow to put on the end of this segment? With Jessica Tarloff, our friend, co-host of The Five, great to see you. Thanks for stopping by. We will talk again very soon. The Guy Benson Show Happy Hour continues after this break. Stay with us. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Fox News alert on the Guy Benson Show. As we continue here this happy hour, earlier this afternoon, some breaking news. Igor Danchenko in that Durham trial, a central figure in the Russia matter, he was acquitted by a D.C. jury on all four counts. Not necessarily a shocking outcome, but a setback to the Durham probe. Where do things go from here? We will be covering that tomorrow on The Guy Benson Show. Meanwhile, earlier today in our first hour, we caught up with our friend and colleague in studio, his first time on the show, Greg Gutfeld, the new king of late night. Here's part of that exchange. He was born in Saudi Arabia, which is why we call him our little prince. His last job was as a mannequin for J. Crew. He's got the face of an eighth grader in his glove compartment. He's on our list of 40 under 40 who look like they're 14. He's like Peter Pan. He doesn't age and will never marry a woman. He has the face of your nephew and the politics of your dad. Host of the Guy Benson Show and Fox News contributor Guy Benson. Those are priceless. (laughs) We are back. It's the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for listening. GuyBensonShow.com. Podcasts always free. That was just a sampling of some of the generous introductions I received on the new-ish show of my next guest making his debut. 
mm. on the Guy Benson show. He is the littlest host with the tallest ratings. Uh, co-host of the Five and the New King of Late Night. That is true. That Greg is true. Greg Gutfeld, it is great to see you in studio. I am so happy to be here. And it's just I, I I can't believe this is my first time just with you. Yeah, you know, but uh, well, in, um, in this context, in this context, exactly. We won't get into the other context because it's filthy. But uh, yeah, it's great. Huh? I love those introductions when you put when you t- when you pile them on each other. Yes, that's how it works. It's a long game. People don't understand that it's a long game. You're supposed to do that. You're supposed to have them all like so. It's one person, and it's just relentless. I had forgotten about the one. He has the face of an eighth grader in his glove compartment. That I, was a dark, dark I, intro. I, I I think I wrote the second part of that. Uh, glove compartment. So I'm, how do these get written? Well, it it started – I mean it's, it was obviously started at Red Eye, um, and it was my idea because a friend of mine's band – I had seen a friend of mine's band, and they introduced all the members like, he's six foot five, runs like a deer, playing drums, Dave Lombardo. And I'd be like, I should do that with my guests. And then I got so obsessed with it. I mean – I would write them, and then other guests who loved them, like Allison Rosen, wrote thousands of them, and she wasn't even wasn't even working for me. Uh, I think I can't remember if Andy and Bill wrote some. They might have. They probably did. But it was like, yeah, I, I'm sure we did like a round robin thing. I like like it's kind of like how you do magazine captions, where you take a you just. You, you, it goes around the staff, like a picture of something, and people write on it. That's how we did it. And that started on Red Eye. Red Eye, yeah. And it's the hardest thing. Uh, people get re- – it's very hard to do Tyrus and Cat because you're doing it every day. Right. But it's easy to do you because you're on like once every two weeks. But um, it's – no one else does it, and it's just like something that – I can't I, – I don't – I can't settle on just saying, hey, we're here with Dana Perino. It's got to have something right. else. Does anyone ever get upset? Um, some people might get shocked if I if I if it appears that I might cross a line, or if you they, would never yes, do such a thing, they, or if they think that I'm making fun of them. But I never do. I don't think I ever do. Maybe maybe 15 years ago on Red Eye, there might have been a person or 14 years like that was like never seen the show before and was like, what the hell's going on? But I, I think it's like we've been. You know, everybody knows what's going on on that show now. Like, it's people all, get it. Yeah, it's all teasing. It's all ridicule. It's all like getting under people's skin, and it's like it is like a nightly roast. And people don't. People don't. I don't think people understood where it was going until it happened. And I told I told Tyrus and Cat that it was like when we're here every day, it's going to just morph into a roast because that's the way. Red, that's how Red Eye Red Eye became just an, an insult factory. You know, and it's like the best part. If you can't insult somebody, you don't like them. That's a fa- fact. If you sit, if you sit, if you see me next to somebody and I can't make fun of them, it's because I, I honestly am well, not interested. Then you must really like Brian <laughs> Stelter because <laughs> those jokes happen all the time. I will just say, in terms of the support and the fandom of this show, not to blow smoke, you know this, but in the last couple of weeks i was talking to one friend of mine who's in his mid 20s in colorado mm-hmm. he watches almost every night he'll occasionally engage in some colorado type behavior and then tune in yes who loves wouldn't? it who yes. wouldn't and then i was just in georgia over the weekend and i was at a dinner party with a bunch of retirees who watch every single night and they freaked out when i mentioned you guys should come to new york and be in the audience they're like we're going we're going to come nah. they're huge fans how would you talk about and sort of explain to people who maybe have heard about the show, haven't tuned in, why has it been so successful? Because you went from a show that didn't exist not long ago to beating all of these mm-hmm. long-tenured on-air 
comedians who have staffs of dozens of people and yeah. millions of dollars of yes. network TV money behind them. You're beating all of them. That upsets me. The amount of money and support they have just blows my mind, but I'll get over it soon, I hope. But uh, I, Okay, number one, the, the key to the success, too, would, would, there was a hole there that needed to be filled. We knew it. You could tell. Was I ready for it? I wasn't sure. We talked about it for a while, and I didn't want to do it because I felt I wasn't ready or I didn't want the hassle. I was already doing a weekly show and the five. I was exhausted. But – how much more work would this be? You know, I, I, I've said this. I told Tucker this, uh, you know, on Tucker's show that I actually called Tucker. and Tucker convinced me to do it. Um, and so the now the, the if I was describing the show to somebody, it's a good mood. There's like no, it's 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 a good mood where you're with your friends and you're just making fun of each other. That full discussion with Greg Gutfeld plus a special guest who dished on him. Available online at GuyBensonShow.com. Part of our free podcast every day, the entire show, on demand, no charge to you. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, it's the home stretch. A celebrity known for being cool and chill and nice apparently really isn't in real life. He got called out and is now apologizing. We'll discuss next. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. Home stretch from the Big Apple. It's the Guy Benson Show. GuyBensonShow.com. That's our website. Podcast. Always free on demand when the show is over, which it almost is. So I saw this, was it earlier today? I think in the New York Post. An item about James Corden. He's the host of the Late Late Show on CBS. I think that's the name of the show. I'm not as familiar as I once was with the late night landscape. I'm a Gutfeld man, obviously. We had him on the show today, so that's my number one choice. And my favorite of my childhood and growing up, Conan O'Brien, is now off. He's sort of moved on from that whole world. But James Corden, I would see his stuff go viral on social, which was a big part of his appeal. I really liked carpool karaoke whenever he would do that. I think he's still on. I think it's still happening. He's stepping away after next season, I saw. And they've got Trevor Noah leaving The Daily Show. There's just like some upheaval happening in that space. But when you watch carpool karaoke or see clips of Corden, he's talented. He can be funny. He can sing and dance. But his whole vibe, sort of what you get off of James Corden is fun, nice, cool guy. But evidently, I did not know this about him, he has a pretty rough, sometimes volcanic temper, and he's gotten into trouble in the past because of this. I guess he's acknowledged this in the past, and then this item in the New York Post revealed that at a restaurant here in New York City called Balthazar, the ownership, the management at the restaurant banned James Corden because he would come in and be so verbally abusive to staff, not like once he was having a bad day, but it happened multiple times, that ultimately the people in charge of the restaurant said, this person is no longer allowed to eat here. And I guess there'd be slight things that would go wrong with a meal, and he would just upbraid the server, send stuff back, raising his voice, shouting, dressing people down, very sarcastic and nasty. I think I read at one point he sort of like threw something. 
just like really appalling behavior that is so incongruous with the public image and perception that admittedly I had fully bought into. Like it's really hard for me to picture James Corden doing this. But apparently sometimes this is what he does. Now, evidently after this came to light, obviously it was a very bad look for him. Corden called up the owner of the restaurant, Keith McNally, who's 71, begged for an apology, apologized profusely. And the guy who runs the restaurant said, this was in a statement, having bleeped up myself more than most people, I strongly believe in second chances. So he said he's lifting the ban. Although apparently this is not a second chance overall for Corden. It's a second chance on this type of behavior that he's done, I guess, somewhat regularly for years, just at this one particular restaurant. So when this came up in our meeting earlier, Christine, you were saying that you weren't exactly shocked by this because I guess you are more plugged into, like, the pop culture gossip, shockingly, than I am. And I gather that James Corden has had something of this reputation now kind of under the radar for a while. Yeah, there's a lot of things online um, from the past couple of years uh, giving some instances that I'm not going to say because, you know, you can't tell if they're definitely true or not. But he is not a very nice person. I'm not that surprised because I think there are a lot of people out there. I mean, look at Ellen. She's probably the biggest example of everybody loves Ellen. Yes, she's so nice, funny, laid back, always doing nice things for people. Surprising them. Yeah, I guess to work for she's a living nightmare. Extremely, extremely difficult. And back in the day, I mean, people probably don't think about think this about her now. But back in the day. Rosie O'Donnell. Rosie. <laughs> Before that. She's a very ugly person inside and out. Okay, it's so true. No, she was the queen of nice. Th- that's With what they called that her. talk show where she oh. would shoot little things into the crowd and everyone yes. have a great time. I guess not so much. Not so much. IRL, as the kids say. I just want to say to everybody out there, Guy Benson is exactly who he is on air and off air. And I'm probably even nicer off air. Well, you said I'm exactly the same on air and off air, but is that a good thing? <laughs> that wasn't a ringing endorsement. That was almost like a warning is what I interpreted that as. I mean, for everybody else, it's probably great. But I want everybody to know the way he is to me on air is the way he is to me off air. <laughs> I'm not that hard to work for. No, you just like to make fun of me. Well, yeah, that's part of the. The shtick here. I mean, I'm wearing a nice outfit today, and the first thing you do when you see me is like, are you really going to wear that tonight? What is on your outfit? Ponies. Ponies. Pretty ponies. Yeah. Actually, this one. It's like a serial killer with her trophies. This is the same color as Carousel, just so you know. Same oh. exact color. I don't think that's a coincidence. I saw it in the window. I'm like, how could I not get a pony sweater? Ugh. So, I mean, now we're off onto the Carousel story again. If you don't know if you're new to the program, many of you are. Right, like we've our audience is growing, the podcast is exploding. You might not know that producer Christine, as a child, rejected a pony that was given to her for her birthday or something like that, or Christmas. She got a Christmas pony, let's just say, as a six-year-old or an eight-year-old, and she rejected it and had it killed and sent to a landfill in Staten Island. 
mean, it's just like all of that is just not true. But Carousel uh, is up in the old golden corral in the sky. And here she is wearing a pony sweater into work, knowing that she's going to see me. I think that's almost a threat. <laughs> just like almost like you're watching me. And I need to and I need to watch my step. That's the implicit concern here. Like you make fun of me too much, I might blow the whistle on you during the home stretch. Even worse, you might join Carousel wherever she may be. May God rest her soul. That's what I'm getting from this. All right, so we've now listed a few people who seem to be nice but aren't really nice. Question, do you think it was fair to leak that Corden had behaved so poorly and was banned from the restaurant? Was that too far, or is this kind of like call-out culture? If you do this kind of stuff enough, eventually someone is going to say, hey, look, I was treated very badly by this guy, and the whole brand that he's created for himself actually isn't how he treats people in real life. Because to me, it is near a low of the low to treat wait staff poorly. If you are rude to people who are helping you at a restaurant or in a hotel or what have you, if you're one of those people, I think that really reflects poorly on you. And it also, I think, goes to all sorts of other like insecurities and stuff like that. So I'm not sure if this was the first time he had a bad hair day and had a bunch of stuff on his mind and he just sort of snapped. I think going straight to page six and saying, look at what this guy did. I think that would be unfair. But if there's a reputation getting built over a long period of time that is being suppressed and actively countered with like the PR of how you behave in front of the lights and cameras, I think to maybe have that taken down a peg every so often is justified. I think it tells a lot about a person, how they treat wait staff and anyone in the service industry. I used to go on like a first date and you could tell a lot about a person and how they treat the wait staff. So you could see on a first date, if someone's very rude, I had someone I went on a date with who was very rude on a first date to our waiter. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm not. I can tell that you will be this way for so many different things. Did you see her again? Or was that that? That was it. Ghosted, done, done, done. See, because there's different layers of it. There's someone being nice and polite and treating waitstaff and service industry like their people. Then there's people who just sort of are fine, but they almost don't treat them like they're there. It's sort of like you're here to serve a purpose and nothing else. And then there's overt rudeness slash abuse. And it sounds like James Corden, at least in some of these circumstances, was in category three, which is not sort of the jolly, portly Englishman thing that he generally has going on on comedy. TV. You were sort of defending him on this. You you felt like James Corden, Christine, had kind of been wronged a little bit here. I just think that, I mean, some people just got caught on a bad day, you know? Uh, yes, but that wasn't this, right? This was, there were multiple examples of his bad behavior just at this one restaurant in the story over multiple visits. So it wasn't just a one-day mistake. I'm glad he apologized. I wonder if he would have done that without the bad PR, now there's bad publicity, so he's going to apologize, fine. Just, like, get your act together. Get your temper under control. Or don't go out to restaurants, you know, get Grubhub or something. Or learn to cook. I, I get it. But unlike me, Guy, not everybody's perfect. So, you know, sometimes you just have a bad day. What did you say earlier? You said that you are nice to everyone unless they make you mad. Yes. And you're also sort of a rage 
fountain, right? You get easily triggered, right? You've got a hair trigger temper. No, I, I, I wouldn't say that. Who says that? You. You're like, I'm a hot-tempered Italian lady. From New Jersey. Yes. Yeah, you're like, I go Jersey on people. That's what I do. I go Jersey okay, on Okay, thank you. So I'm, I'm not just making this up. I'm glad that we've come but full that's, circle. That's people that deserve it. Mm-hmm. And boy, do you. You know who you are. Was that directed at me and or your husband? Both? It's directed at the people. They know who they are. Okay. Got it. Now I'm slightly terrified. And on that nervous note, I'm going to tiptoe out of here as to not anger a certain you-know-who. Back here tomorrow. Shh. She's trying to sleep. Back here tomorrow. Same time. Same place. For the Guy Benson Show. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.